Thank you for listening to this lunchtime talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, the Art Gallery's curator of European and Australian decorative arts, Rebecca Evans, discusses key works in the display To Have and to Hold, the Dalda Collection of Contemporary Jewellery. My name is Rebecca Evans and I am the Gallery's curator of decorative arts. And I understand that this lunchtime talk has been advertised in a few different spaces. We are now in our second kind of festival moment of the year. October is jam-packed. So I'm always very grateful when people um, take the time to come and listen to me speak. But of course, with every talk, with every presentation we give at the gallery, we always like to commence by recognising the traditional owners of the land that we stand on. And of course, on the Adelaide Plains, we're talking about the Ghana people. So I'd like to pay my respects to the Ghana people and pay my respects to elders past, present and of course future. And to acknowledge that their culture is important, uh, as important today as it always has been and will continue to be so into the future. Now, we are currently in Gallery 8 and you probably are more familiar with works on paper in this space. Now, I did a bit of wheeling and dealing in the curatorial department earlier this year, and the decorative arts department have swapped with the works on paper department. And so, of course, uh, Jeff Wilson for Sala is in the decorative arts gallery, which is 19A, I always get confused which A or B, 19A. <laughs> and I've taken over the works on paper gallery um, in gallery eight. And we are standing amongst 161 pieces of historic and contemporary jewellery. This exhibition is titled To Have and to Hold the Dalda Collection of Contemporary Jewellery. And it both celebrates the history of the contemporary jewellery movement right up until 2017, but also celebrates a remarkable collection of jewellery that was gifted to the gallery in, I think, May 2017 by local collectors, Truce and Joost Dalda. And I think that's a recurring theme in the gallery's collecting habits. We have remarkable benefactors and collectors who share their passion with us and gift us remarkable collections such as this one. So we have a very long history at the Art Gallery of collecting contemporary jewellery. Um, former curator at the gallery, Dick Richards, some of you will be familiar with his work and his writing. Um, he uh, curated a show called Australian Jewellery, 1974, I think it was. Um, uh, it was fundraised by, I'm going to put that down, the, I think it was the, the Lynx program through the OSCO, um, and it travelled around Australia for about two years. Um, and since 1992, we have been collecting contemporary jewellery, um, mostly Australian contemporary jewellery, with the assistance of Jane and Barry Vernon Roberts. And you'd be very familiar with their um, benefaction because their work, uh, the works they've supported have been on almost permanent display for the last couple of years. So since 1992, we have acquired around 140 works of contemporary Australian jewellery. Um, but in, I think it was January, February 2016, um, I realised that what we really needed to do was to acquire examples of international contemporary jewellery to put our Australian makers in their global context. 
and I wrote a list of some of the Australian, but mostly international jewellers who I th saw were missing from the gallery's collection. And single-handedly, rather than that being a 10, 15, 20-year project, Truce and Yo Stalder decided to gift their collection. And I had the delightful experience of ticking off nearly every single one of those very, uh, very names on that very long list. Um, and so we have more than doubled our collection of contemporary jewellery. Um, but just, just to start a little bit about what contemporary jewellery is, it can be a little bit of a difficult um, sort of um, art movement to get your head around. Um, but uh, it kind of starts, well you, can, well, you can start or whenever you want, but technically the contemporary jewellery movement comes out of the post-war period. It's uh, sort of a child of the Scandinavian design um, modernist movement from the 1950s, 60s. Um, and it's also a child of the contemporary art movement in many ways. It really starts to explode from the 1980s onwards. So movements are usually a little bit more condensed in a time period. So it's kind of just been this, I guess, now medium or discipline that's continued from the mid 1970s right through to contemporary. Um, but there are a few works in this display, in this collection, that fall outside of that particular period. And of course, when we talk about jewellery, we cannot go past the wonderful work of René Lalique. Everyone is a Lalique fan. I don't care what your personal tastes are, you can't go past Lalique. Now, you'd be familiar with the dragonfly brooch we have in the collection currently on display in Gallery um, 16, I think. Um, but we have a few additions to the collection through the Dowda um, gift. Now, as you enter through um, the gallery on your left-hand side, there are uh, one example of René Lalique, and we have lots of small works in here, so I'll try and point. <laughs> um, and of course, there is also a brooch in that showcase um, a uh, sort of an orangey coloured brooch facing that way, which is also by René Lalique. The thing I love about uh, Lalique, you know, in the late 19th century, he's working a lot in more precious stones. I mean, there's some great blingy examples of jewellery in the V&A collection by Lalique, but it's the glass jewellery, which is almost a segue into his glass vessels that he's so well known for that really do capture my imagination. And this is a theme that comes up time and time again in the contemporary jewellery movement, thinking 70 years beyond at least La Ligue. And of course, it's the use of often everyday, mundane, sometimes boring materials and transforming them through technical brilliance into something that is remarkable. And Lalique's passion for glass comes through in his jewellery in that period, um, just before he really takes off with the glass vessels. And in this example, the brooch in this showcase and the neck piece um, just inside the gallery, uses this technique where the glass is foiled back. So through a combination of the carving of the glass and the foil, it enables uh, uh, light to beautifully um, refract through and almost become like a precious stone. But at the end of the day, it's just glass. Um, a few other examples, I always talk about sort of um, jewellery by artists. 
um, which kind of fits just before the Second World War. Um, nothing in the collection, but my goodness, I would love to get one of these in the collection. There's this great kind of little semi-movement, the 20s and the 30s, from France, where we have these really interesting artists and designers working in jewellery. And of course, you can't go past the collaboration with the fashion designer, Elsa Scaparelli, and the artist, Salvador Dali, where they created this fantastic brooch called Ruby Lips, where the lips, of course, are rubies and the teeth are pearls. I would really like to get one of these in the collection. Um, rare as hen's teeth and very expensive. But we see a lot of artists engaging in jewellery throughout the 20th century. And then we go to Scandinavia. Of course, Scandinavian design still has an incredible presence today in the design movement. How many young designers are crediting and referencing um, Scandinavian design or mid-century design in um, their architecture, furniture, etc., etc. Um, but of course, in jewellery, there are a number of Scandinavian artists, uh, jewellers rather, who are working and um, producing things for uh, George Jensen. And one of those is Viviana Turin, and she's this absolutely gorgeous Audrey Hepburn-looking character, a friend of Picasso. I'm always curious about how that ended. Um, and she produced a lot of um, uh, pieces for the Jensen brand, which are still mass-produced now. Um, a lot of questions around the ethical collaborations between artists and jewellers, independent artists and jewellers and, and the Jensen brand, but I won't go into that. Um, and we have this wonderful example by Viviana Turin, which is in the circle installation as you come in. Beautiful ring, which is meant to look like um, a lotus, like a lily pad, um, inspired by her trips to Indonesia. Um, and then we move, I'm just going to segue a little bit into the 1970s. And one of my favourite international jewellers is a woman called Tuna Vigeland, a Norwegian jeweller. And she is almost this, uh, I guess, a point where she moves from that Scandinavian modernism into the contemporary jewellery movement. Um, I understand she's still making. She's one of those that I'm very sad to say a lot of these jewellers, when they're young, are able to produce very fine, delicate work. But as their careers progress, those um, very detailed, minuscule kind of ways of making are no longer possible. So we have a lot of jewellers in this um, exhibition who are now working as sculptors because they can no longer work in that detail. But um, Tuna Vigeland is uh, was from an artist's family in Norway and she starts her career in that quite typical Scandinavian uh, approach to design in, in her metalwork. But there's one piece in this collection, which of course, I love saying this, companion work to a piece in the V&A's collection. There are a number in here. <laughs> um, and it is, I am going to point that way. I think it's behind Heather, maybe, sorry, Heather. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> which is this necklace where my thumb is. It's over on that wall. It dates from uh, the early 1980s. 
And Tunde Vigeland is one of those artists, again, who explores um, uh, a whole range of unusual materials in her practice. And this is from her Feathers series, which is an ongoing series that she explored right through the 1980s. And I understand that this was in her major solo show, Electrum Gallery, uh, which is a really important contemporary jewellery gallery um, in London in 1982. Um, and she used in this piece and in all the Feathers works um, nails, which she's hammered down flat and joined together on this kind of chain mail background, um, suitable if you're a Scandinavian um, uh, jeweler with, with uh, Viking ancestry, I'm sure. And she's attached these nails to that um, a chain mail background. And they do look like the feathers of a bird. And in this case, I feel like kind of that cheeky tail of a bird as it's swishing around. Now, it's probably the point where I'll just choose some things that I like. And since we're in close proximity, I probably don't need to open the book. Um, but this collection um, built up over 25 plus years by Truce and Yost, um, in parts actually charts their relation, uh, I guess their movements around the world and the places that they've lived, which include the Netherlands, their Dutch originally, followed by London, followed by Dunedin, I think I've got that right. Definitely the New Zealand relationship and then here in Adelaide. And so we're very lucky to have a number of key works by New Zealand jewellers in this collection. And I always um, talk about, the, I guess, the importance of referencing Australian art and, and, and design within the, uh, within the global context, but with also within the regional context. Um, and I dare I say, in the design and craft world, I swear New Zealand's about 20 years ahead of us in terms of their innovation and, and um, the way that they relate uh, cross-culturally, but we all know that. Um, and there are two works that I'm particularly fond of. One is that piece there by Alan Preston and the work next to it by Nikki Hastings McFall. Now, Preston is a bit of a legend of the jewellery movement in New Zealand. And I think he studied psychology originally and then discovered jewellery while he was um, travelling in London and he retrained. But in this case, he is an Anglo man living in New Zealand. Um, and while travelling in Fiji, of course, New Zealand is very much that, uh, I guess, uh, I guess it's kind of like where people launch themselves into the Pacific in many ways, that strong Pacific culture. Um, and he has used traditional Fijian materials, techniques. I think that the neck piece from memory is made of coconut husk. Um, and then this enormous shell, which he learnt um, to carve so beautifully in this case. Now, Preston tells me that he reckons that a number of the younger New Zealand jewellers are not as interested in Pacific culture and more interested in sort of a, a, a global culture, which is probably the case of many of those who've made their way to Munich to, tra uh, to train with the very famous Otto Kunzli, for example. Um, another work I'm very fond of is the one that's just to the right by Nikki Hastings McFall. 
Now, she doesn't work so much in jewellery anymore. She's more of an uh, installation artist. Um, she was in, I can never remember which number, Australia Pacific Triennial, could be number three. <laughs> um, our, our future director will be able to probably tell you that, having been um, a staff member of that institution. Um, but for Nikki Hastings McFall, uh, she has a very, I guess, cross-cultural upbringing and um, background. Um, but in this case, this work was made uh, just, I think it's 2000 or 2001, and it's made to be a contemporary interpretation of a cap cap. And of course, a cap cap is a Samoan um, uh, traditional adornment, which was normally worn by men, uh, sort of usually had engraved shell, similar pattern to what she's created here. And it would either be worn on the forehead or on the shoulder by the wealthiest uh, man in a particular community. It was about power, it's about, um, about authority. But in this case, Hastings McFaul has taken that tradition and created a 21st uh, century example, still utilising the show, a very important um, material throughout the region, Australia, New Zealand, right up into the Pacific. Um, but created it as a pendant to wear on the chest. Um, incidentally, I borrowed this from the Dowders for an exhibition I did in Sydney seven years ago, so I'm very happy to get it into this collection. What other things I wanted to talk about? I can't go past the seed pearl necklace, which is, thank you, <laughs> just over there, which is by a Vietnamese uh, German jeweller by the name of Sam Tu Jung. And he's, his family fled Vietnam um, during the communist uprisings of the 1970s and found himself in, um, in Germany. And he decided to train as a very traditional silversmith. Um, but even though this work employs very traditional, very skilled um, approaches to, to jewellery, um, I, I doubt it's a form that you've probably seen uh, in Rundle Mall, for example, unless you make it upstairs to Zoo Design. Um, but this work is designed to look like the snow-laden branches of uh, a tree in a very cold um, German winter. Uh, if you've seen, you know, I guess, you know, if your family is from Southeast Asia, these memories of, of a child of seeing snow for the first, first time, <laughs> freezing cold winters, would be um, images that would be burned into your brain um, over many years. It's probably one of my favourite works in the Dalda collection. Um, also high up on my list, sounds like I'm shopping, I'm not shopping, <laughs> I'm not shopping. <laughs> I'll have that. It is the fashion festival. <laughs> um, now there's this wonderful red necklace um, just, uh, um, just on to my right by a South Korean jeweller could, um, uh, oh I've gone completely blank. Thank you, Jongju <laughs> Kim. Um, which is also featured on the front cover of the publication we did for this uh, collection. Um, and the wonderful thing about this is that it is made entirely of Velcro. And this is a theme that comes up again in, in a lot of jewellery, is the incredible imagination 
resourcefulness, because in this case, the artist has chosen Velcro because as a poor student, there are limits to how much silver, gold, and etc. you can afford. But she's taken this very everyday material and transformed it into this uh, incredible fleshy-like construction. And unless you actually knew it was Velcro, you probably wouldn't pick that up. I think very few people have um, without prior knowledge. But it's definitely one of my favourite pieces in this collection. Now, the theme of, you know, I think, well, just broadly, if we look at decorative arts and design, we look at contemporary craftspeople. The thing that I love, the reason why I'm so drawn to this collecting area, is we have a lot of craftspeople who spend their entire careers focused on one material or one technique. It's this beautiful monogamous marriage where they can never let go of that particular um, material or technique. And they become absolute experts in that. And you can't go past Nell Linson, who is just to the left of the redneck piece. And she passed away um, middle of 2016. And she spent her entire career working in paper and creating paper necklaces and bracelets. These incredible, complex, semi-mathematical uh, constructions that are only really visible until you stretch out the necklace. Of course, we can't really do that in the exhibition space or for long term. We did get a very fan, uh, nice shot for the publication showing the internal complexities of the construction of those neck pieces. Now, I spent a lot of time talking about Australian jewellers, <laughs> uh, international jewellers, I should say. I should talk about uh, some of the Australian jewellers that we have in this collection. Now, a few of them have, haven't entered the collection beforehand, and one of those jewellers is Sarah Rothy. Now, her work should be familiar to all of you who, have, who walk through the Regent Arcade on a regular basis. Of course, she has her own store there. And this piece in the middle of the showcase, which is anodized titanium made to look like dragonfly wings, is a piece that she made, I think, in 2014. Now, she's also been appointed as the head of metalwork at the Jam Factory. And she has this very uh, remarkable gift of combining a successful commercial business with a studio practice and now working as the head of metalwork at the Jam Factory. So I said to those associates, you are very lucky to have Sarah um, guiding you through this period. Of course, balancing those two for any artistic practice is quite difficult. Now, she's long been interested in the dragonfly wing form. Lovely sort of link back to Lalique again and the Art Nouveau period. Um, and she has created... so. From memory, I think she has the actual pieces um, laser cut in the United States to create those very fine um, fretworked dragonfly forms. And then she shapes and colors them, um, and in this case, into these beautiful iridescent blues and purples. Um, and I think her work's for sale in the shop, I think. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, another piece, another artist who I've long been fond of, and who may have just got married on the weekend, <laughs> is the work of Catherine Truman. 
Um, of course, you would have seen, hopefully, her work here at the gallery for Sala 2016 and subsequently at the Jam Factory. And she's another one of those artists or those jewellers who's worked consistently with one material. And in, and in Catherine's case, um, the material of English lime wood and the technique of carving. Um, and if you look in this showcase here, there's a bright vermilion red brooch at the far left, um, which um, is very typical of, of her practice. Um, of course, she studied Netsuke carving in Japan in the early 1990s, and so she draws a lot on um, those techniques that she learnt um, right, right through her career. Now, another Australian. I always want to talk about Lauren, but, you know, she's a colleague, but oh, it's all right. <laughs> so is there a conflict of interest to talk about colleagues? No, no, I don't think so. Um, but Lauren is uh, a jeweller. You know, I guess the thing is about many of these jewellers is that even though they may work in plastic or wood or Velcro or paper, they all have a traditional um, metal work um, training through many of the schools in Australia. So a lot of these schools, ANU, oh gosh, this is the part where I try and remember which ones are still operating and which ones the government has cut, um, but definitely um, uh, University of SA, Annika, yes, uh, ANU, um, Sydney has been cut but was operating until quite recently. A lot of these schools were set up, uh, metalwork studios set up by um, immigrants, especially from Europe, Germany, Scandinavia, that kind of part of the world. And so they have this very traditional training. But many of them go on to explore entire careers in a whole range of wacky and fun materials. Um, wacky and fun might be the way I would describe my wonderful colleague, Lauren Simeone, because she never ceases to amaze um, the, the materials that she brings into her jewellery. Anything from found sort of plastic foliage in secondhand stores or discount stores, um, do I say, you know, the fake coral that you put in your fish tanks, dog chews, um, it's anything goes. But I love that a lot of these materials are considered often cheap, nasty, you know, consumerist materials. And she, again, takes those and turns them into um, remarkable pieces of jewellery. You would have seen her work again in the studio. Um, but there are 161 pieces. I could have you here all day. I won't be able to stand up all day. But um, I think maybe I'll just wrap that up. Um, but one of the things I, I just wanted to, to kind of emphasise is um, how grateful we are at the Art Gallery and how grateful I am for the support of Truce and Yost Alder, for their remarkable gift, for their generosity, for their, um, I don't know, leap of faith with me as a curator in this institution. I'll be forever grateful and I hope that future generations um, enjoy this collection as much as I have over the last um, couple of years getting to know them. And of course, once this is down in January, <laughs> we'll still have the book. So <laughs> thank you. And, and if you've got any questions, please let me know.